Is that better? Always helps if you turn your electronics on. Turn to the book of Titus in your Bible. Or thumb there in your app. <laughs> For those of you who use the the version app um, on your Bible, we actually have the notes uh, that are in that app. We've been talking about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Titus. And if you'll remember, he told Titus... Uh, that, that the reason he left him in Crete was to appoint elders in every city. And so then the Apostle Paul went on to describe what those elders should be like, who they are, who's qualified, and, and really in those qualifications are some of the duties uh, that you would see as an elder, as a pastor. Last week we talked about, or not last week, two weeks ago, uh, we talked about false teachers. And that was one of the reasons uh, that the Apostle Paul wanted good, strong, biblical pastors so that they could refute the teachings uh, that were being taught there that were erroneous, that were false. And so today we, we're going we're gonna to make a little bit of a shift. The Apostle Paul has been talking about false teachers, and so today he's, he's looking to the other side of the coin. And, and if you'll remember, we, we ended with, this was two weeks ago, so some of you may have to stretch a bit, with false teachers, how do you know them? You know them first by their life, their lifestyle, the other one is you know them by what they teach. If it's not in accordance with what is in Scripture, then it's false. This is our truth. The Bible is our authority. But you also know them by their lives. So, so that's why the Apostle Paul puts such a high value on the people that are called to be elders. <coughs> so today we're looking at the other side. So false teaching and the way they live on one side. This one is training in godliness. The Apostle Paul starts... Uh, in chapter 2, we're going to be going through verses 1 through 10. <coughs> when you know, I wouldn't cough the whole morning until I stand up. The Apostle Paul writes this, chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a good model or a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." Now, there's several groups that he talks about in here, and looking at the time, we'll, we'll make sure that, that we cover them thoroughly, and we may have a part two, who knows. But, but I wanted to present them together if we could, because that's the way Paul presents them. What Paul is talking about here is, this is what godliness looks like. This is what it looks like to walk in the Lord. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so he begins, and remember this is right on the heels of his, of his dealing with false teaching. He begins with, this is what it looks like 
that have sound teaching in your heart, that have sound teaching in your life. And so he begins with one that I don't know about you, but I don't like the way this sounds. He starts with the older men. Now, now I don't know if you know what age that is, but it's anything older than I am. Isn't that the way we think? You guys are good. Thank you. Older men. So, so men, I want to talk to you for just a second. How many of you men would consider yourself older men? Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't like to change Scripture, but I, here's, here's what would be cool. What if we just said, not as young as we used to be men? Uh, actually, actually, in Scripture, older men, what he's talking about, this is going to be hard for some of you, if you are over 40, then you fall into that category. Some of you who've been over 40 for a while, you're older-er men. So I, I thought I might be able to squeeze under the radar. Well, older is older than I am. But if you've traveled much in other countries, uh, if you have any gray at all in your hair, then, then you are revered as one of the elders, as one of the older men. If you have any hair at all. Somebody pointed out to me yesterday that I've gotten quite gray in the face. I told him I'm at the point that I pull out the black hairs now, not the gray ones. <laughs> Older men, so that's, that's us guys. Um, some of you don't fall into that category. Maybe we'll, we'll get to you in a moment. Older men, here's what he says. He says, older men are to be sober-minded. What, what he's talking about here is, is that means you're disciplined of the mind so that you think rightly. That you're sensible in your thinking. Have, have you ever, this is, this is a little bit cruel maybe, but have you ever like found a guy who had a few too many to drink and thought you are going to have a little bit of fun with him? Have you ever, you guys are way too nice for that. Um, well, well, I picture this, this actually happened several years ago and I wasn't there. Um, you'll know why I say that really quickly. Um, but I wasn't there. Um, but but I but I can just imagine I can picture this in my mind. It was one of the years that it was really dry, like it's turned out to be this year, and and it was it was well into the dry season. Bears were everywhere. I mean they they were coming into town for the little buffet uh, we call a dumpster, and and one of them it, it's hot, so we all open the doors here because that's Cloudcroft air conditioning, and and it was hot, so the doors to the bar were open. You already know where this is going, don't you? And a bear wandered in. That would have been a great time to have some fun with a guy that maybe had one too many. <laughs> That's just my dog. <laughs> we named him Bear because he kind of looks like a bear, but he's not a bear. Sober-minded, that you think rightly, that you think correctly. And, and so that's what he's saying, that, that you're in, in, in your right mind. You're right-minded. You think through things sensibly, not like... Um, Somebody who's had a couple too many. The other is self-controlled. That you have control of yourself. That, that again, goes to discipline. That you are disciplined. Um, guys, have you ever seen another guy who's out of control? Have you ever seen that? I mean, you, you don't want to be around them. Maybe, 
maybe their lack of self-control uh, comes to, to bear in their eating or, or their, their cleanliness habits or, you know, those, uh, their, their work ethic, those kind of things. But, but they just lack self-control. They're not disciplined at all. And then he says, uh, older men, we are to be sound in faith. That means that you're solid. Now, now faith here, we always think of, well, we have a couple of different ways that we think of it, uh, that, that the believing thing. But, but really here he's talking about this really relationship with God. That you're solid in your relationship with God. You're sound in your faith. You know what Scripture says and you believe it. And because of that, that it shows in your life, you're sound, you're solid, you're firm, you're steady. And then he also says, now, now the way he says this is like this, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That means sound in faith, but it also means sound in love. That sounds weird for a guy, doesn't it? That you're sound in your love. Especially in the United States where we think love is a feeling. You ever heard, heard someone say, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. I'm like, well, you know, love is a command. And, and for us guys, that, that we are to be sound in our love. We're to be solid in our love. That means that the way we love people shows. The way we love God shows. And, and we're not wavering, but we're solid in it. We're steady in it, and it permeates every area of our lives. And then he says, sound in steadfastness. Now, this one I can see being a struggle at some point. It means that steadfastness here means that you don't give up. You don't quit. You keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And now he's talking to older men. That's anybody older than me. No, we already established. That includes me. That you never get to the place where you're done. Well, you do when Jesus calls us home and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So what he's talking about here, he's talking to older men. You're to, to be in your right minded. You're to be self-controlled, that, that you are under control. That you're sound in your faith. That's what you believe, your relationship with God. That you're, you're sound in love and it shows in the different areas of your life. And that you're sound in steadfastness, that you don't give up. You realize, I'm not done until God is done with me. And when he's done with me, he'll take me home. Some of you are going, well, but I'm retired. And you're way more tired than you were when you were working, I know. That, that, that's a this world kind of thing. That concept's not in Scripture. So retired means... That you have the financial freedom to serve God in any way he directs you. You're not done. Not as long as you're here. And that's an that's easy way to say, how do you know that God's not done with me, Pastor Larry? Because you're still here. <laughs> I'm not done with you. You're steadfast. You keep going and you keep going and you keep going. Now, guys, if older women kind of hits me wrong, I'm sorry. Whoa, I slipped into the next one. If older men hits me wrong, then older women, we're not even going to discuss. <laughs> Paul says, <laughs> older women likewise <laughs> are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. That one's funny. 
uh, they're to teach what is good. So first of all, they're to be reverent in their behavior. Have you ever met, we would, we would call her maybe a, a gentle lady or genteel, a lady who, who just had this, this, this air about her that she carried herself where, well, she, you, you knew that she respected herself and that she was well respected. That, that's the idea here, not, not haughty, not arrogant, but, but one who was confident in who she was that, that's kind of the idea here, that she's reverent in behavior. She has nothing to prove to anybody. She knows who she is in Christ. And, and because of that, that, that her, her attitude toward people is, is loving and, and kind. She's reverent in her behavior. That doesn't mean, men, and don't try to make this mean, and don't try to get me in trouble, that she has to walk with her hands folded three feet behind you with her head down. Is that there, there's this air about her. You can tell that she respects people. And she loves them. Not slanderers. Boy, that one's kind of hard. We'd love to think men that, that only women had problems with gossip and slander. It's just not true. But Paul here, he's talking about the older women. He says that, that they're not slanderers. In other words, that the, the idea behind this is they make good use of their time. They don't sit around and, and talk about people. Um, this one is just fun to say, so, so I have, had to put it in here, that they're not slaves to much wine, just a little. You know, the idea here is that they're, they're not known for being addicted to wine. They're not known for, for being tipsy. They're not known for having too many drinks. That, that they're not slaves to the wine or not addicted to wine. The, the, that, that's the other side of what he told men to be sober-minded. And then here's something that we wouldn't normally associate, but in, in fact, I think that we're losing this, and I don't want to lose this in our churches, men and women. It says that they teach what is good. Now, he's not talking about, we had Miss Grace when I was a youth minister. I think that was her name, Miss Grace, and man, Brino, just outside of Granbury, Texas. She taught Sunday school, and I think she taught Sunday school um, before anyone else in the church was born. <laughs> and she was still teaching. But what Paul's talking about here when he says, and, and that they teach what is good, he's not just talking about Sunday school kind of teaching because he immediately goes into the next category, which is young women. Here's a, here's a concern that I have for our churches is that, that, that we have that gap between what we would call the older and the younger. Notice there's no middle age people here. <laughs> you're either older or you're younger. That's why I didn't want to get into the older crowd, but it just happened. But, but here's a principle that not only holds true, although Paul speaks specifically to the women about it, and then he, he kind of clarifies it as we go into the young women. I want us, particularly in this church, to have the older teaching the younger. Now, I'm not talking about grade school, although that too. And I'm not talking about our students, our teenagers, although that too. But, but even as I look out among our congregation, we have, we have those of us who fall into that older crowd. We're over 40, 
I guess that works with the women too. I'm not going to go there because Paul didn't and I, I don't want to get in trouble. But they have, imagine if you had the older men walking with the younger men, teaching them. Paul specifically talks about it here with the women. Older women, here's what you need to do. Teach the younger women. Here's what he says, verse 2, verse 12. I'm not even in there. 4, verse 4. And so, he says, teach what is good, and so train the young women. Train them, teach them, mentor them, whatever word you want to use. Paul says, train them. Train them to do what? Well, first, to love their husbands. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? In our day and age. Because we think of love as an emotion. Paul's saying, older women train the younger women how to love their husbands. He's talking about relationship-wise. This isn't, this isn't the eros love, the romantic love. It's not the agape love, the God kind of love. This is the phileo love, the relationship kind of love. We, would, we call it brotherly love a lot. Train them to love the younger or train the younger women to love their husbands. And that's not a feeling. That's eros. That's a romantic love. Train them in relationship with their husbands. <laughs> then he says, one that, that we think is crazy. Train them to love their children. <laughs> And I say that, and I see some parents going, you know what, that's hard a lot of times. <laughs> Again, that's not an, it's not an emotional kind of feeling kind of things, but, but what Paul's talking about is, is older women train the younger women in relationship with their children. Train them in a relationship with their husband, but train them in a relationship with their children. And, and guys, we're, we're starting a parenting class. If you're a parent, if you're a parent or grandparent, we'd love for you to come. It's intentional parenting because sometimes we know it goes by way too fast. And, and, you know, where has the time gone? Almost every parent has thought that. We even think that. I do with my nieces and nephews. And, of course, nowadays it's with their kids. Where has the time gone? But we, we do that intentionally. And Paul says, older women, train the younger women how to do that. And then again, this mirrors the, the men. Train them to be self-controlled, to be disciplined. Not, not out of control. I don't, even, I don't even want to know what that looks like. But train them to be self-controlled. To be pure. Um, Paul here, at the, the very least, has the connotation of sexual purity, but also purity of mind, that, that they're pure. I almost skipped this one, but I don't ever want to leave anything out of Scripture. Working at home. And then he says to be kind. (laughs) I won't won't do that. Working at home. I'm not talking about barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. You can be in the living room. No, I'm kidding. You know that, if you know me, you know that's not what I believe. Here's what I firmly believe. Uh, Ladies, for whatever reason, I believe that it's part of God's design that that you are the glue of the home. You're you're the one that, that holds 
the home together. Now, as, as men, uh, we, we're to be the leaders of the home, but ladies, you're, you're the one that holds it together. And any guy who is even a tiny bit honest would, would admit freely, openly, loudly, that if it weren't for my wife, my home would fly, all the wheels would fly off, it, it would fall apart. You're the glue. And so when he says here, working at home, making it work. He talked to, he just got through talking about relationship with husbands and relationship with children and, and, and in the home, just being that glue. It doesn't say that you can't work outside the home, ladies, at all. But, but you know, whether it's just because men, we stink, or, or I, I believe it's just part of God's design when he designed men and women differently. Ladies, if you work outside the home, you know that you don't get to home and kick your, you don't get to go home, kick your shoes off and it's done. I remember my mom saying this when I was little and I didn't know what she was talking about then. A man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. <laughs> and I think part of that's God's design that ladies, women, you're just the glue of the home. You hold the home together. So I believe that's what he's talking about here. To be kind. <laughs> and that's not just kind to your, your husband and to your children, but, but you're known for being a kind-hearted person. Not angry, not vindictive, not mean, um, not harsh. Although, guys, we're the ones who tend to have a problem with the harsh thing a lot. But, but you're known for being kind. And then here's another one. Oh, this one doesn't sit well. Submissive to your own husband. And then he says, younger, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's God's design, and I don't know why, except that he chose to do that, 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 that men, we're the ones who lead the home. Have you ever had two people who both tried to lead and they had different ideas? Have you ever had that? You're like, yeah, it's called marriage. God has put it so that the man is the leader of the home. And I know you're thinking some women can lead way better than men, and I would say I, I agree. Um, some women, well, most women are smarter than most men, and I would say I agree. Why did God make it that way? I don't know, but he, but he did. Um, and, and so that, that you just doesn't mean you walk around beaten, you're not a doormat, it doesn't mean that you're any less in worth, it doesn't mean that you're any less capable. In fact, God, after he created man, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We need, <laughs> he needs somebody, he needs some help, is what God said. So that's when he created woman, from, from his rib to compliment him. But that, that we follow God's design for the marriage, we follow God's design for the family. Younger men, you didn't, you didn't get out of it. Um, likewise, he says, verse 6, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And if we're not careful, it looks like that's all he told the younger men. Maybe because that's all they can handle. You know what, man, if you can just get control of yourself, I'll, I'll get back with you. But no, Paul actually lumps Timothy in with the younger men. And then he says, show yourself. He's talking to Timothy now, but, but these two are joined together. So younger men, 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. That, that you, you are to exemplify what it looks like for someone not working to salvation, but for someone who's saved and you're working out that salvation in your life. Showing, he says, in your teaching, uh, he's talking to, to Timothy now in your teaching, but this applies to the younger men too. Showing integrity. The idea behind this word is you're the same throughout. You're solid all the way through. Your integrity. You're not this way here and this way there and then this way when we're with that group of guys and this way when you're with a group of guys from church. That you're the same all the way through. That's integrity. In sound speech. Funny he didn't say that to the older men. Maybe we're supposed to have gotten that by then. If we did that when we were younger men, maybe we've gotten that down. But, but guys, that means that, that you don't have any coarse joking. And man, that's hard. I don't remember all the good clean jokes I heard before I was a Christian. And we tend to do that, don't we? One up. Oh, well, oh, let me tell you about this one. And, and you know, we, just, that we, we sound speech. Not just in not cursing or not talking, you know, filthy talk, it says, Paul says in, in one of his other letters, but that we're sound in what we say. And then he says, here's the why. He says, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Listen, the biggest knock I hear against Christians is that we're hypocrites. We say one thing here and then we act a different way somewhere else. And Paul's saying, don't let that be. And he's talking to the younger men particularly. Don't let that be said of you. You be the same guy. All the way through, everywhere you go, so that nobody can say, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be that. If that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't want any part of that. If that guy calls himself a Christian, then count me out. And then finally, he says bond servants. And now this is where we all go, whew, finally. One not for me. Here's what he says about bond servants. He says, they're to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I blew through those. I'll come back through real quick. You may be saying, I'm not a slave. Some of you men are going, I don't want to be a slave. <laughs> we don't have bond servants in, in this day and age, but most people work for somebody. And even after you retire, you still find yourself in situations where you're under somebody of authority somewhere. And so he says for, for those of us who are like that, that we are to be submissive to our masters. Whether it's in a volunteer position or a work for pay position, that we are to be submissive. That is to say that I understand God has put you in authority over me, and so I will submit to your authority. This is here, just like with the women, this is a, it's a middle voice, but what it means is we do this ourselves, that we put ourselves under. It's not something somebody has to do with us, that if we're working for somebody, whether for pay or for volunteer, we're working for them, that we do it in such a way that they are glad that we are there. 
well-pleasing. Another way to say this is that we are a blessing to them. Now, mind you, he's, he's talking to bond servants, to, to someone who uh, has sold themselves into slavery somehow, or they're working off a debt, or they, they paid off that debt, and, and they said, I still want to work for you. They're, they're doing this willingly that we are a blessing to them. Again, whether it's a paid position or a volunteer, that we're a blessing. We're well-pleasing. They like to have us around. Not argumentative. Have you ever had someone over you and they didn't know half of what you knew? That ever happened? You're working for someone and you know way more than they do. There's, there's a way to support them, to lift them up, and to help them without being argumentative with them. And sometimes we just have to say, listen, I, I think there's a better way, but if this is the way you tell me to do it, I'll just do it because I, I respect you. Now, if it's going to cause somebody bodily injury, you push a little bit more before you get there, but not argumentative. Even though you may be saying to yourself, I'm smarter than they are. Because this is a position thing. It's not a quality thing. It's not a worth thing or ability thing. And then he says one, not pilfering. Really thieving is what he's talking about. Taking stuff. Uh, the workplace, you know, maybe, maybe that's where you, um, you, you carry home the pens or you know, you, you'd have to work that out with your employer. You accidentally take home a, a paper clip because it was on your paper, you know. You... I don't think those things happen as much as here's what I, I think would happen, particularly in a workplace with this, is that you're just not giving them all the effort. You're not giving them their money's worth. Maybe you're coming in a little bit later. You're not, you're not working very hard. Why should you work hard? It's all going to be there when you get there the next day. Pilfering is really where we're stealing from. We can steal from them just by not being the worker that we're supposed to be. And again, as odd as it sounds, that goes for work for pay as well as volunteer. And then he says, showing good faith. This is, again, talking about our relationship with God, that we demonstrate our relationship with God with them. And you've, and you've just gotten a bunch of bullet lists there. Let me encapsulate this for you. Because as I read this, what I see is a list of do's. A couple of don'ts. And, and here's what we need to remember. Always, 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 always. We can't do any of that on our own. We can't do that on our own. There's another list that Paul gives us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Here's the thing. What the Apostle Paul is writing to Titus about, and, and he spells these things out for him, but it all goes back to this, that, that you need to be you need to be walking in godliness. Think about this list like you would think about the fruit of the Spirit, not an armload of fruit. 
But this is the result of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. I can't find a single one of these things that if somebody is walking with the Lord isn't going to be naturally produced in their life. Can you? So let me ask you this question. This is your your challenge for this week. When you look at your life, do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, gentleness, self-control? See, that, that's not, you, you don't go to the, the fruit of the Spirit stand, <laughs> pick up your apple of goodness and your banana of kindness and your walnut of self-control. I don't know what that would be. You don't do that. See, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Can you see a change? Can you see those things happening? Not that you're perfect, not that you're complete. We're not going to be as long as we're here. But can you see a change? If you think back to last week or the week before, the month before, can you see that God's producing a change in you? If you were to list characteristics, or better yet, if you were to give someone that you work with or someone that you're around a whole lot and have them list characteristics of you, would they list these things that we talked about? They say, you know what, I don't agree with him, but man, his faith, something that that really I admire. The, The way she treats her husband that's, that's different. I want that. When I hear him talk, even when he's with a, a group of kind of rough guys, when I hear him talk, man, that's, that says a whole lot about his character. If someone were to write a, a, a list of your characteristics, would these be in there? And if not, you can take care of that really quickly. We tend to think that we have to work our way back into right relationship with God, but it doesn't work that way. John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that immediately restores us in the right relationship with God as believers. Maybe there's somebody here today and you say, you know what, I, I don't know that I've ever seen any of those things in my life. And I would like to ask you to consider this. Have you ever put your faith and hope and trust in Christ? If you haven't, you can do that today. Just believe, not knowing with your head, but trusting with your heart. Jesus died for your sin on the cross, that he was buried. And on the third day, God raised him again to life, the proof that he had victory over sin and death, and that he'll forgive you for your sin. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I I just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I know that, that there's probably not a single one of us here today that as we go through this list that Paul has given to Titus to impart to the church, as we go through that, that we can say, oh, yes, I've I've done all that perfectly. Lord, we need you to work in our hearts and lives. 
And Father, sometimes when we come to a place like we have this morning, maybe, maybe we realize that we don't see you doing a whole lot in our lives. God, if that's the case, I just pray that you just bring conviction from your Holy Spirit, which drives us to you. God, that you would just, just convict us this morning, lead us to the place where we can just confess that. Maybe it's because we've been trying to do it ourselves, or maybe we've let other things take priority over you. We just confess that to you and turn away from it. And God, that we trust that you will do what you say you'll do, and that is that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You forgive us, and then you cleanse us, you restore us into a right relationship, back into fellowship with you. God, if there's anyone here today who's never come to the place where they said, I believe that Jesus died for my sin, that he paid for my sin, that he was raised from the dead, and I trust him with my salvation. God, if there's somebody here who's never done that, Holy Spirit, just draw them, convict them, bring them to you. We ask this in Jesus' name.